Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'd like to welcome you to your introduction to Consciousness for Coaches. We're going to be covering the basic tenets, the basic principles of integral theory. What's unique here is that in the last 35 or 40 years, the world's witnessed a historical first. All the world's cultures, all the world's knowledge, all the world's teachings, and all the world's traditions are now available to us. In the past, if you were born, say, a Christian person, you likely spent your entire life in one culture, often in one province, one state, sometimes in just one house, living and loving and dying in one small area. But today, not only are people geographically mobile, but we can study and have studied virtually every known culture on the planet. In the global village, all cultures are exposed to each other. We have, for the first time, access to the entire world's knowledge at our fingertips. It arrives instantaneously. Knowledge is the new norm. Knowledge is now global. And that means that the sum total of human knowledge, human experience, wisdom, and reflections of all civilizations, pre-modern, modern, post-modern, are open and available to anybody with a computer connection. What's unique about integral theory is that it's been able to take literally everything of all the various cultures, all the wisdom traditions have to tell us about human potential, spiritual growth, psychological growth, and social growth, and put it all out in one basic cohesive map. We found the critical essential keys to human growth based on the sum total of human knowledge and experience that was available to us. What we've been able to create is an all-inclusive comprehensive composite integral map that includes all the best elements of all the world's traditions and all the world's learnings into one single focused map. This integral map uses all the known systems and models of human growth, from ancient shamans and sages to current breakthroughs in cognitive science, cognitive neuroscience, quantum physics, it distills all the major components of those teachings, of those knowings, into five simple factors. And those are going to be the essential elements or the keys that we're going to use to unlock and facilitate human evolution. So what we're going to be discussing is the integral model. So let's talk about these five building blocks that are essential to understanding consciousness. These five elements, we're going to call them perspectives, levels, lines, states, and types. All of these elements are the basic building blocks of consciousness studies. Up until very recently, people were very, very fascinated only with states of consciousness. I think of all the 
state experiments, all the state chasing that was going on in the late 60s and 70s and early 80s. We even had movies called Altered States. And for a very long time, we weren't quite honoring the other developmental teachings, the other perspectives coming from other wisdom traditions, other types of sciences to include into a greater cohesive map that we wanted to honor not just states of consciousness, but we wanted to look at levels of consciousness, how consciousness grows and how it, how it emerges, how it develops over time, what's the evolution of consciousness. But we also found out that lines of consciousness were important because everybody was measuring what they thought was different phenomena, but they were all studying a different line, a different perspective, a different take, a different voice on that consciousness. And then we found out that we had to honor types of consciousness, that perspectives come in a this kind and a that kind. They come in a masculine and a feminine type. They come in a hot and cold type. They come in a autonomy versus communion type or a justice versus care type or a rights versus responsibility type. Or we're going to use the terminology here, agentic versus relatable. So these five elements are not just theoretical concepts. They're aspects of our own experience. They're the contours of our consciousness. And we can experience them directly. So the integral model is going to be useful whether you're a coach, whether you're starting a business, whether in medicine, psychotherapy, law, ecology, or just using it every day in simple learning and living and self-growth. The integral map is going to allow us to touch all the bases all the time. It's going to give us the ability to take on as many perspectives as possible in any given moment so that we can have a more comprehensive picture, a more comprehensive map of what we're looking at. So what an integral approach ensures us is that we're going to be able to utilize the full range of resources for any situation, which is going to bring about a greater likelihood of success. So as we learn to apply these five elements of perspectives, levels, lines, states, and types into our own awareness, then we can vastly accelerate the potential for our own growth and development to higher, wider, deeper ways of being, showing up in the world in a more embodied way. And so getting a familiarity with these five elements is crucial to understanding the integral model. And it's going to help us orient ourselves more easily and fully with ourselves, with our clients, with our families, and within our communities. So in short, by introducing you to integral theory, to this comprehensive map of consciousness, it's going to help us both see ourselves and the world around us in a more comprehensive and effective way. But you got to remember, the integral theory, it's just a map. And in the words of Arthur Kessler, the map isn't the territory. Menus aren't the same as the dinner. If we have a map of the Rocky Mountains and we want to go camping, we can't exactly go camp on a little green triangles on the map and we can't go swimming in the little blue blotches. There's a real difference between the map and the territory. And so what we're going to be presenting is a map of consciousness, but it's never a substitute for direct experience. And as we go along, I'll be giving us suggestions and I'll be talking about as many ways and methods that you can embody direct experience as we possibly can, because it's only through direct experience that we can come to apprehend the world around us in a more rich and embodied and authentic way. So the integral map is just a map, but it's the most complete and accurate map we have at this time.
So let's do a quick overview of these five elements of consciousness. And let's start with something that's very familiar to most people. Talk about states of consciousness. There's three natural states of consciousness or three ordinary states of consciousness. Familiarly, they're called waking, dreaming, and deep sleep. When we actually talk about the states though, we have a broader language. We talk about gross, subtle, and causal states of consciousness. Now, in another program where we go into states more deeply, we'll talk about the differentiations and the correlations of these different uh, ways of discussing the different states and their different qualities. But usually when we refer to the state of consciousness, we'll be using the language of gross states, which is akin to the waking state. It's what you're aware of right now in the physical sensory motor here and now world. When we talk about subtle states, the most familiar direct experience you have of that is the dream state or the deep imagery state. So this would be either a nighttime dream during REM sleep, for instance, or this could be a daydream of zoning out or possibly being in a flow state or being in a state of intense creativity. And then thirdly, we have the causal state. That's akin to deep sleep. Uh, it happens when the brain is asleep and the body is awake repairing itself. It's associated with healing and recuperation. Very, very deep states of meditative consciousness and usually has the direct awareness of having no boundary. And we'll talk about how we can access those states through either uh, harmony integration practices or through using brainwave entrainment or even other types of methods of getting into these different states. So the three natural states of consciousness are gross, subtle, and causal. And we might also call them waking, dreaming, and deep sleep. And for right now, just know that they're correlative and they line up with each other. Now, in addition to that, we also have anything that isn't the three natural states of consciousness, we're gonna call non-ordinary states of consciousness. The old terminology is that these were called altered states, um, but that gets into a little bit of trouble uh, as we want to start discussing the nuances of all these different states of consciousness and what type of realities that they bring about for us. So I prefer to call them non-ordinary states of consciousness. This can be meditative states. This could be drug states. This could be sexual ecstasy states. This could be aha moments, peak experiences, um, the hypnotic state. Basically, all non-ordinary states have to be induced. They have to be brought about by some method or they have to happen by accident. How that, of course, differs from the three natural states is the three natural states of consciousness fluctuate in a natural way throughout our 24-hour circadian cycle. We've never lived a day in our life where we didn't fluctuate in and out of the three natural states, gross, subtle, and causal. And of course, if we want to enter any kind of non-ordinary state, there's an induction method or there's a substance to take or it needs to happen spontaneously without our prior awareness. One of the interesting things about states of consciousness is this is one of the few areas where the great wisdom traditions, Christian mysticism, Vedanta Hinduism, Vajrayana Buddhism, uh, Jewish Kabbalah, this is one of these few moments where those great wisdom traditions actually align themselves with contemporary science. Contemporary science honors and understands the nuances of gross, subtle, and causal states of consciousness. And so do the wisdom traditions also honor gross, subtle, and causal states of consciousness that they do indeed bring about different realities. We can measure this with Western scientific instruments and see the variations of these states of consciousness as they change. And we do know that when we're in these states, they bring about a new reality, a new perspective, a new vision, a new sensation, 
So what we can maintain is that the three natural states of consciousness, gross, subtle, and causal, waking, dreaming, and deep form of sleep, actually contain the treasure trove of spiritual wisdom and spiritual awakening. Where this is interesting for us, of course, is that we're plunging ourselves and our clients into these states of consciousness every time we take them through any one of our harmony integration practices. So as we take people into these states, as a practitioner, it's going to be valuable, if not crucial, for you to know where are you taking them? Into what territory are you leading them? And are people having different state experiences as you take them in there? That what you may have experienced yourself in doing one of our processes and what your client might be experiencing could be at different cosmic addresses. They could be uh, interpreted from different levels and different states of consciousness. But on a much simpler, more mundane level, everybody experiences various sorts of states of consciousness. And these states often provide profound motivation, meaning, drives for yourself and other people. The important thing to know about states of consciousness is that all states of consciousness are temporary state experiences. They ebb and flow, they come and they go, they're always temporary and they never stick. Whether it's the natural states of gross, subtle, and causal, or it's any kind of non-ordinary state of consciousness, they never stay. Consciousness moves much like a stream. Uh, the fancy quote from William James, of course, is that consciousness is akin to a stream of consciousness, that it has this liquid, flowy, wiggly nature about it. And so no state of consciousness has ever been permanent. You may have been angry once, but you're not angry now. You were asleep earlier on, but now you're awake. You were high at one particular time. Maybe you took a drug or you took a painkiller, and now you're no longer under the influence of that state of consciousness. Or you were at a deep state of pleroma, a, a causal state of complete unity and oneness, maybe a direct experience of truth. And of course, as you sit here now, you're not experiencing it again. States yield from one state to another state. So the language we're going to use that states are temporary, but stages are permanent. <laughs> So let's talk about stages or levels or waves of development. The interesting thing about states of consciousness, like we said, is that they come and go. Even great peak experience, no matter how profound, it'll come, it'll stay, and it'll pass. So it's always temporary. But what's interesting is that stages of consciousness are permanent. The stages represent the actual milestones of growth and development. And once you're at a stage, there's a permanent acquisition of that stage. So in relation to states, we want to turn temporary states into permanent stage traits. So for example, if a child develops through the linguistic stages of development, the child has a permanent access to language. Language isn't present one minute and then gone the next. And the same thing happens with all types of growth. If an acorn emerges and develops into an oak tree, it's permanently an oak tree until it generates its own new spawning of acorns. It doesn't regress and go back to its acornness or its seedlingness. So once you stably reach a stage of growth and development, you have access, direct access, to the qualities of that stage. So that could be greater consciousness, that could be more embracing love, a higher ethical calling, 
a greater intelligence or awareness, whatever it is, you have permanent access to that. So what we're saying is that passing states convert and grow into and emerge into permanent traits. So how many stages of development are there? Well, there can be as many as we want. We can slice the pie in as many slices as we care to. There could be three stages of consciousness that we want to look at. There could be 12 stages, 16 stages, 64 stages. It's all a matter of how we slice it up. So remember that in any map, the way you divide and represent the actual territory is always arbitrary. So a couple examples would be how many degrees are there between freezing and boiling water? Well, if you use a centigrade map, there's 100 degrees between freezing and boiling. But if you use a Fahrenheit scale, freezing's at 32 and boiling's at 212. So there's 180 degrees between them. Which is right? Well, of course, they're both right. It just matters how you want to slice up that pie. And so the same is true of stages. There's all sorts of ways of slicing and dicing up different stage conception models. And they're all useful. In the chakra system, for example, there's seven major stages or levels of consciousness. Uh, Gene Gebser, the famous anthropologist, talking about worldviews, uses five. He goes from archaic to magic to mythic to rational to integral. Certain psychological models have three, some have eight, some have 12 or more. The Freudian model and the Piagetan model both have three. Uh, the Ericksonian model has 12. The Maslow model, which some of you have heard about, has had as few as four and as many as six. So which is right? Well, all of them. It just depends on what you want to keep track of in terms of growth and development. So with stages of development, we can refer to them as stages, we can refer to them as levels, we can refer to them as waves. And it's just an idea that's trying to represent a level of organization or a level of complexity. So for example, a basic evolutionary sequence that would unfold in a stage-like fashion would be going from matter to life, to mind, to soul, to spirit. And traditionally we've called that the perennial wisdom. You can take that five-stage model and you can line it up and make it have more divisions and it would correlate, it would cross-correlate with a model that went like atoms to molecules to single cells to complex multicells to tissues to organs to bodies. So these stages move from one level to the next level. What's important about that is that with all stage sequences, we talk about the unfolding of those sequences, is that each level transcends but includes its junior level as it complexifies. So one of the things that we're going to talk about is that no matter what type of stage of consciousness that we're looking at, the higher stage always includes and transcends its junior or lower levels. So for instance, if we took organs out of our previous model. If we look at an organ, say, well, you have a kidney, we could say, well, that kidney has in it. You got a whole kidney and in it seems to be some, uh, some tissues. If you take one of those tissues, you find that that tissue has multi-cells in it. You take one of those multi-cells, you got single cells in there. Look at the single cells, you find out you have molecules. Take any molecule, it includes atoms. And of course it goes the other direction. If you take your kidney, it is a part of a larger body. That body is part of the ecosystem 
of a planet. That planet is in a solar system. That solar system is in a galaxy. That galaxy, of course, is in a universe. So no matter which direction you go, in an ascending direction or a descending direction, what we find out is that all developmental sequences transcend and include their junior orders, and they never ever get rid of them. What that means, of course, is that we can't skip stages. There's no way of skipping stages. There's no way to go from acorn to oak without going from acorn to seedling to sapling to oak. One of the stage conceptions we're going to spend a lot of time on uh, in another program is that of the spiral dynamics model. This is a model that was based on the research of Dr. Claire W. Graves, who was a student of Abraham Maslow's. And we'll be using his model in depth to talk about value systems. So let's talk about how all this fits together. In this concluding section of the intro here, I want to briefly outline these patterns that we've been talking about. If we collectively look at all these patterns taken together, uh, we refer to the model as the all-quadrant, all-level model. And we abbreviate that A-Q-A-L, we pronounce it the aqua model. And of course that represents all quadrants, all levels, all lines, all states, all types. And those are simply the components that we've already outlined. So aqual, A-Q-A-L, is just another term for the integral model, but it's often used to specifically designate the particular approach that I'm about to share with you. So in the beginning of the introduction, we said that all five components were available items in our awareness right now. And this is true then of the quadrants, the perspective that I'm gonna be sharing with you in this section. So let's look at language for a minute because this is a really good way to illustrate the concept of these different perspectives. So in major languages, we usually have first person, second person, and third person pronouns. First person is a perspective that refers to the person who's speaking. So that includes the pronouns like I, me, mine. We call that the singular. And the plural of that, of course, is we, us, and ours. So that's the second person, which means the person who is spoken to, which includes the pronouns that we use, uh, such as you and yours. Third person, or a third person speaking perspective, is the person or thing being spoken about. Of course, you're familiar with that, uh, with the pronouns is he, him, she, her, they, them, it, and its. So if I'm speaking to you about my new bicycle, I, I am the first person. You, in this scenario, are the second person. And the new bicycle, that's the third component or thing being spoken about. It's the it in the situation. So if you and I are talking and we are communicating, we'll indicate this by using language, for example, and say, we, we understand each other insofar that I purchased a new bicycle. And we is technically the first person, but if you and I are communicating, then your second person and my first person are part of this extraordinary relational dynamic called we. So second person is sometimes indicated as you, we, or thou, we, or in short, just we. So we can simplify first, second, and third person by saying the I, the we, and the it. And those are different perspectives that we can bring to a situation. We can look at something from our I or me singular perspective. We can look at something through 
our, we, understanding of something, and we can talk about something over there in the third person and refer to as it. Another way of putting this would be to talk about phenomena from this I, we, and it perspective, but use language that's a little bit more rich and gives a little bit more depth to the conversation. So we might then also refer to the true, the good, and the beautiful. And what if we said that the good, the true, and the beautiful are dimensions of our own being at each and every level of growth and development? So that through an integral lens or an integral practice or using integral theory, we can discover deeper and deeper dimensions of our own goodness as we relate to another person, our own interior truth. So we can therefore simplify first, second, and third person accounts as I, we, and it. Another way of expressing the I, we, and it dimensions is to use a different kind of language that reveals a more deeper, rich context. That would be the good, the true, and the beautiful. And what if we said that the good, the true, and the beautiful are dimensions of your very own being at each and every level of growth and development? And so that through an integral lens or using integral practice or utilizing integral theory, we can discover deeper and deeper dimensions of our own goodness, your own truth, and your own beauty. So the good, the true, and the beautiful are simply variations on our first, second, and third person accounts, our first, second, and third person pronouns that we utilize in language. And so we find this in all languages because truth, goodness, and beauty are real dimensions of a reality to which language has adapted to describe phenomena. The third person, or the it, refers to an objective truth, which we usually investigate by science or empirical methodology. Second person, or you or we, refers to the goodness or the ways that we, or you and I, treat each other, and whether we do so with decency, honesty, and respect. In other words, we're talking about morality when we talk about goodness. And the first person deals with the I, the first person account, with the self, or self-expression, or talking about arts, or aesthetics, and we talk about beauty being in the I of the beholder, and that could be the E-Y-E of the beholder, and it can also be the I, the singular letter I, the capital I of the beholder. So the I, the we, and the it dimensions of experience refer to their exterior correlates as art, morals, and science. And we can talk about art, morals, and science in the background of self, culture, and nature. And so we're talking again about the beautiful, the good, and the true. So the point is, is that in every event, every moment in the manifest world, it's always representative of these three dimensions. You can look at any event from the point of view of I, or how I personally see the event, or how I feel about the event, or you can look at it from the point of view of the we, or how not just I see the event, but how do we see the event, how do others see the event. And we can talk about it in an it perspective or an it dimension, a removed dimension of objective facts about the event. So an informed approach would therefore take all of these dimensions into account simultaneously and arrive at a more comprehensive, more effective understanding of anything going on. Because we can always look at something from the I, the we, and the it in self, culture, and nature at any given moment. Source material for this presentation was inspired by and taken from the Integral Vision 
a very short introduction to the revolutionary integral approach to life, God, the universe, and everything by Ken Wilber, Shambhala, 2007. Also, Integral Life Practice, a 21st century blueprint for physical health, emotional balance, mental clarity, and spiritual awakening by Ken Wilber, Terry Patton, Adam Leonard, and Marco Morelli. Integral Books, 2012. And lastly, taken from Maricopa Community College's Psychology of Consciousness and Mature Ego Development course. Lecture Notes, Professor Wesley Fuquay, MED. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.